Welcome to the Millerville Community Church podcast of our Sunday morning sermon series, where the Word of God is always the focus of our hearts and prayers. MCC is a non-denominational country-style church, just a short 20-minute drive from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And now, here is a message from Sunday morning at MCC. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your word, and we thank you for all the many messages that you have given to us, and the greatest is the message of Jesus Christ. We just praise you for giving us Jesus Christ, for giving us our way of salvation, our way to know you, and to um, not just know you, but to be able to walk out this life in the knowledge of who you are that you are the great and mighty one, that you are the creator of all that we see and beyond, that there is nothing that you haven't created. And Lord, we thank you that you have called us to be in fellowship with you, that you have called us to have that um, communion with you. And we pray that as we look into your word, that you would really speak to each one of us through your Holy Spirit and that we would um, be a changed people more and more into your image as we spend time in your word together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're um, wrapping up our series on the word of God. And uh, one of the things that, um, well, we just finished coffee break. And I don't know if you've noticed, sometimes our words are meaningful and sometimes it's empty chatter. <laughs> and um, that's just the way that we are. Like our words, they come out of us and, you know, sometimes they, you know, carry a lot of weight and other times it's just, you know, fill. God's word is different than that. It's, it's not to be seen as the same as our words. That God's word, when he speaks, it's living, it's active. It always does what he purposes his word to do. It's uh, revelatory, so he's always bringing revelation through his word. And so as we look into his word, we can always expect every single time we read his word that that might be the case, that there's something that he wants to speak to us personally about. Um, Hopefully that's always the case. Or maybe um, he's calling us to take action on something or maybe we didn't see this passage the way that he intended and all of a sudden the light kind of goes on. But always he has something that he wants to communicate to us and he promises that it always has meaning. It's not empty chatter, it's not just fill, it's always meaningful. And so as we uh, wrap up our series, I love the, the verse that we've looked at a few times, Jeremiah 1.12 where it says, I am watching over my word to perform it. So when God gives his word, he's watching over it to perform it. It always will accomplish what his will is. Uh, Isaiah 55:11 reiterates that in a different way. So shall my word be, which goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. So that's as true in Isaiah's day as it is today, that when his word goes forth, that it will accomplish what the Lord intended for it to accomplish. 
So let's just, um, I'm going to be flipping through the scriptures here, so I hope you have your Bibles with you or on your Bible app. And remember, don't do your email right now. (laughs) I know I am like that anyway. Um, But we're looking at John, well, we'll be all over the place, but I just want us to look at John 17, verse 4. And this is at the end of um, Jesus' ministry here on earth. And this is what he says in his, we call this his high priestly prayer, but it was right at the end of the last night um, before the crucifixion, and he says to the Lord, the Father, I glorified thee on the earth, having accomplished the work which thou hast given me to do. And the reason I'm taking us to that scripture is because today we're going to be talking about he is the Logos. He is the Word. And so he says that he accomplished the work, he being the Word, accomplished what God had sent him to do. And that's what we just read in Isaiah and in Jeremiah, that his Word always accomplishes what God intended. On the cross, if you remember, he said, it is finished. In other words, the work that he was sent to do, he was able to say at the end, it is finished. And as he died on the cross, his finished work was to die on the cross as a substitute for all who would believe, and that he is the way of salvation. And so he says, it is finished. Um, I've been reading a book, Praying the Names of Jesus, by Anne Spangler, which is quite good. She has one for the the, um, names of Jesus as well as the names of God, and um, I really liked a particular quote I want to read to you that she said, Though God has always revealed himself in some way through his creation, through the prophets, the incarnation, in other words, Jesus uh, coming in the flesh, is the clearest, most compelling revelation of who God is. His holiness, his love, his power, all perfectly revealed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's uh, look at Hebrews um, chapter 1, and Mike read that this morning, um, part of it, and I just want us to look at that, and um, I want to read all the way down to verse 12. So remember, the writer of Hebrews is um, writing in New Testament times, and he's referring back to the Old Testament that was given, or what we call the, the First Testament, Uh, and um, so when he talks about the prophets, that's what he's talking about. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And so we see that Jesus Christ was the creator of the world, but One of the things that I think that this is saying here that we don't want to miss is that Jesus doesn't just bring a message. It's not just what he says. You know, you hear people talking about the golden rule from Jesus. It's not just what he said. It's actually not just the message that he brings, but he himself is the message. And so everything about Jesus is the message from God himself. At verse 3, And he is the radiance of his meaning the Father's glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. 
when he had made purification of sins, in other words, when he um, died on the cross, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels, as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. Um, one of the things that the author of Hebrews is trying to write, he throughout Hebrews, he says, better than, better than, better than. And in this chapter, um, because angel worship had become such a big deal in their day, is it a big deal today? Still is. He's saying, no, he's not like just an angel. He's much better than the angels. Um, For to which of the angels did he ever say, thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. And again, I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. And when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, and I just want to say the firstborn is not talking about physical birth. It's not saying that Jesus was a created being. You may have heard that in some of the um, religions that are aberrations of the true Christian faith. So he is not created. Firstborn here, the word means preeminent one that he is the first, he is the most important, the most eminent. And when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, and let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire? But of the Son, he says, thy throne, O God. Do you hear that? Jesus is called, O God, by the Father. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy companions. And thou, Lord, in the beginning didst lay the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thy hands. They will perish, but thou remainest. And they all will become old as a garment, in other words, corruptible. And as a mantle, thou wilt roll them up. As a garment, they will also be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years will not come to an end. So Jesus didn't just deliver the message. He is the message. He is God. He is the begotten one, the firstborn, the preeminent one. And um, really the context of that, Paul helps us with that as well because he uses that same term. And um, when he talks about it, it's in Acts 13, if you want to look at it later, Acts 13:33. When um, he talks about it, he's talking about the resurrection. So it's in the context of the resurrection. So Jesus is the firstborn out of the grave. You say, well, there were resurrections before him. Yes, but they all died again. Jesus is the firstborn in the resurrected body, the body, the imperishable. And so likewise, just like he was raised up from the dead and has an imperishable body, so we can count on the fact that we too will bodily be resurrected from the dead with an imperishable body. So he is the first that is like that. Let's look at uh, John 1 which is really where we're taking our main text from today. John 1, verses 1 to 14. In the beginning was the word, and the the Greek word there for word is logos. So I'm going to read logos here. 
In the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John, and that's which John? John what? The Baptist, right. He came for a witness that he might bear witness of the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came that he might bear witness of the light, because some of them revered John. And this is making it clear, no, it's not John the Baptist that's the light, it's Jesus Christ. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. How can that be? He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. So not everybody's a child of God. It's those who receive Jesus Christ as the Son of God, as the Savior. They're the ones who he gives the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Logos became flesh. Wow. And dwelt among us, that word is tabernacled. He found his dwelling place, his abode within us, those who believe. And we beheld his glory, glory as the only or the unique begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So those who say that, you know, well, Jesus was full of grace and truth, but, you know, when we read about God, he's like this terror to us like he's fearful and he's um you know full of anger it seems when actually god is saying jesus is god and he's the full revelation for us of who god is so when we read about these judgment passages in the old testament we must put it into context of what was happening if you read with the understanding of who God is, you will see grace and truth throughout all the scripture, not just in the New Testament. And this loving God of grace and truth that is revealed to us in Jesus Christ, he too will bring judgment. If you've ever read the book of Revelation, that's Jesus. And so we see that God is consistent. He never changes. He is who he says he is. And there's no um, variance in who he is. He doesn't change over time and, you know, become more merciful. He always was full of mercy. So um, in Revelation, as I just mentioned, when Jesus comes in judgment, um, like all of Revelation, oh, there's just so much in there. Let's just take all day and we'll just stay here in the word. In Revelation 19, verse 3, or 13 rather, it says that his, like when he comes on the white horse, you know that portion where he comes on the white horse and he's got the um, sword in his mouth and the sword is the word of God. And it says that um, his name, Jesus' name is called 
the word of God. So hopefully you're starting to um, pick up on the fact that denying the scriptures, denying the word of God is really the same as denying Christ himself. Because this, these are the things that he says. And so if we go, well, you know, I'm all into Jesus. I think he's a great guy. And he seems to be, you know, just the nicest kind of person. To stop there and just say that is really in denial of what he is saying about himself and what his message is. And so um, all of his word is important to us. He is the creator. We saw that in verse 3. Um, and he tabernacles or finds his abode in us. Now, the thing about Jesus coming in the flesh is it says in the scripture that that was a veil of God's glory. If God were to come in all his glory to us right now, and some of you have hoped for that, but if we were in, you know, this morning to seek God in all his glory, there wouldn't be any of us alive after that. Like his glory is just... It's just so strong. Now we will because we believe and so we have um, his righteousness, but we stand in who Jesus is, not in who we are. And so um, when he came in the flesh to reveal the Father, his flesh actually is a veil. And even in Hebrews, it talks about his torn flesh being the veil ripped open. And it is a reference to the tabernacle, but it's also a reference to his flesh that it veils that extreme powerful glory that he has. And on the Mount of Transfiguration, the three, Peter, James, and John, you know, they had a glimpse of God's glory there. And, and you know, they were completely overwhelmed by it. So um, he, he comes in veiled glory. He's eternal. And he has all the attributes of God. We read that in Hebrews. And we read that in John. And there's many other scriptures where it emphasizes that. He has all of the attributes of God. He performs all the functions of deity. He um, creates. We saw that. He sustains. He holds it with the power of his word. He is over all governments, over all rules. And he judges all. He is the final judge. Let's look at uh, Colossians chapter 1. And we'll start at verse 15. And I'm going to read down to verse 20. So starting at verse 15. And he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all have been created by him, and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself might come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him, through Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And so um, we see that it is by him that all things were created. And that word created is arche, which is the cause of creation. He is the cause of creation, and he sustains it and holds it 
together. And so, um, and uh, because of him being the creator, he also has the unique role of being the reconciler. So we know the story of Adam and Eve and, you know, the demise of the human race because of it, because of what Adam and Eve did, their um, desire to be like God and not listen to God, but instead listen to the evil one, to Satan. And so it caused the fall of all mankind because they are the ones from whom we came from. So because of that, all of mankind turned into this disunity from the Father, from God. And so now, because we don't have that unity in God that Adam and Eve originally were created with, because of the broken relationship, because of the sin that's upon us and the holiness of God that will not look upon sin, now we have this problem. And we cannot change that. There's nothing that we can do in and of ourselves to become reconciled to God. We can only be reconciled if God himself provides a way. And God did through Jesus Christ, coming in the flesh, coming with his message, coming as his message to reconcile us. And not only us, but also the world, the physical world that we know is not what it should be. You know, we're dealing with all kinds of problems that we've created um, and also not just problems that man has created, but also the problems of just a degenerating world because the world itself is cursed because we were given dominion over the world. And because of the curse, the world itself is struggling. The planet Earth is struggling. So he not only is going to reconcile all of us who believe, he also reconciles the physical planet. And um, that, that is his ministry, his ministry of reconciliation, which I think, you know, as a side, Paul says to us that he has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, we are called to be those people who reconcile the world to God. Not that we do it, but we lead them to Jesus Christ. Let's look at Colossians 2, verses 9 and 10. For in him... All the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority. So God is fully in Jesus. He is the fullness of all deity. There, he's not sort of like, um, you know, the Greek thinking that was way back when, uh, taught that there's a separation between the material and the non-material, or you know, we might say spiritual, that um, he's, it's saying, no, the fullness of God is completely in him. So the Greeks you know, had a teaching that said, well, when Jesus died on the cross, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit left him, and it was just his physical body that died. It wasn't God who died. No, the fullness of God completely dwells in him. He's not separate. He's completely showing us the fullness of deity dwelling in bodily form. This is an amazing thing. It's not a small thing. He who created these bodies of ours, he became like his creation. Like this is a shocking thing. And why did he do that? To reveal the Father to us and so that he might be an acceptable 
substitute for the sacrifice on the cross. That's why he did it. And so um, just turn back to John 14, and again we're at the end of his time on earth, and he's talking to his disciples, and uh, Philip is uh, talking to him. Well, you know, he says, um, look at verse 6, he says, you know, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. Like, I think that's pretty clear. There is no other way to God other than through Jesus Christ, period, period. So people who say, well, you know, there's plenty of ways to God, you know, if you're really spiritual or really earnest, no, Jesus himself said, there is no other way to the Father except by me. So he just finishes saying this, and Philip, I don't know what he's thinking. Anyway, he says um, in verse 8, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. If you just show us the Father, then we'll believe. And Jesus said to him, and I can just imagine, it's like, he's so exasperated with them. And he goes, Philip, have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How do you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I don't speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. So I don't know how much more clearly Jesus can say these things. And yet we still struggle with them. Well, you know, I've heard people say, well, he never said that he was God. Surely, from all these scriptures, we wouldn't say that. Like, we can see that he does say that he is God. And he claims to be one with the Father. And he claims to be the deity fully. And so um, these are some of the things that um, I've kind of put together. There's a lot more. But when he speaks... And there's a number of scriptures, and I just kind of collected them all up. And this is him speaking. This isn't him having to do this extra hard effort, like I'm watching Arnie build our kitchen, and it's a lot of physical labor. That's not how God creates. God creates by speaking. Imagine, Arnie, if you just said, let there be a kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> Did you hear that? He says that's what Beth says. <laughs> so God says, let there be light, and there is light. Let there be the earth, and there is the earth. So he speaks, and all creation leaps into existence because his word is powerful, and it's active, and it always does what he says it will do. So he speaks, and um, the world is created. He speaks, and he puts the demons to flight. They were never able to get rid of demons before. But when Jesus comes and he speaks, the demons leap out of this poor man, and they beg him, you know, put us somewhere else. Don't put us in the pit. And so they're put into the pigs, that um, 2,000 pigs, and they, they go crazy, and they just go down into the ocean and drown themselves. He speaks, and the winds and the sea are stilled, and the apostles, when they're in the boat with him, are like, wow, like they woke him up, because they said, aren't you worried about us? We're going to die. And Jesus speaks, and immediately 
it's still. He speaks and he forgives sin. There's nothing that we have to do to gain his forgiveness. It's up to Jesus who speaks and forgives sin. And remember when he spoke and he forgave sin of that um, one poor soul and the Pharisees came up and says, who is this who forgives sins? Well, Jesus, that's who. He speaks and he forgives sins. He speaks and the paralytic can walk. He speaks and the blind can see. He speaks and the deaf can hear. He speaks and the mute can open its mouth. So Jesus, when he speaks, and the greatest one that we saw um, that when he was on earth was Lazarus. When he spoke, he said, Lazarus, come forth. It was God's word, Jesus speaking, that brought Lazarus out of the dead. And Lazarus came out all wrapped up. He'd been dead for four days. They didn't want to open the tomb because he stank. Like he was dead, dead. And Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And he did. Can you imagine being one of the people who's watching this? That would have been crazy. We say, well, if only we could see that. Well, don't be a Philip. Don't be a Philip. He's told us these things in his word. Believe it. We do not have to see this ourselves. He says, they saw and they believed, but how great those of you who haven't seen and yet believe. That's us. And so these are the things he's telling us of what it was like when he was on earth. He didn't just sort of leave us in the dark. Again, Jeremiah 1.12 says, For I am watching over my word to perform it. So the Logos has spoken. The centrality of all the scripture, of all the word of God, is about Jesus Christ. It's not just the stuff that you have in red in your Bible. You know how they take Jesus' words and they put it, they write it in red? It's not just that. The whole thing is from him, and the whole thing is about him. He is the central theme through all scripture, and hopefully is the central theme in each of our lives, because that is what he declares from us. That's what he wants from us. Um, Hebrews 3, we'll look at that, verses 15 to 19. While it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, for who provoked him when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And, whom, and to whom did he swear that they should not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? Well, what does he mean by disobedient? Look at this verse. And so we see that they who were not able to enter because of unbelief. So unbelief is equated with disobedience. When we don't believe the scriptures, it's equated with disobedience. And that was what caused those in the wilderness to not enter into the promised land, was because they didn't believe. It wasn't because of one or the other incident. It was because in their life, they did not believe. From the beginning of coming out of Egypt, they did not believe, and so they were not allowed to enter into his rest, which is the promised land for them. So unbelief of the word spoken, 
it's so essential that we believe the things that are written in our scriptures here. It's essential to life and godliness. It really is. And um, so I urge you to listen. I want us to look at, um, well, I don't even think we need to look it up, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed, like we talked about that last week. Um, Pastor John talked about it. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful. It's useful to us for teaching and for training and for rebuking and correcting. So for training in righteousness, that we might be um, fully, adequately equipped for every good work. And um, he also says in John 20, 31, John is you know, summarizing up his um, gospel, and he says, I wrote these things here so that you might believe, and in believing that you might believe that you have eternal life in Christ Jesus. So John wrote his gospel not just to give an account of Jesus, but so that we might believe in Jesus and, um, and in believing that we would have life in his name. So God has spoken, and God has spoken to you. Spoken to me, and he's spoken to you. We say, well, if only I could hear God. Spend time in his word. You will hear from him. This is his word. This is what he's saying. Why do you want to hear this audible voice when you don't pay attention to all that's here? Like, there's a lot to know. And he says, I've spoken. So come, hear me, enjoy what I've said here. Like, it's just to me, like I know that um, when I wake up in the morning and I start my day with the scriptures, I can just feel this like huge desire to have that time with the Lord before I go about my day. So he's spoken to you. It's recorded in his word. Jesus is the Logos. He is the word, revealing, declaring, accomplishing what he said he would do. And the question is, what is our response to that? What are we going to do about that? What does that mean for us? How is that going to change my life? Am I going to let him, when, he, when I can feel his correcting finger on me, am I going to let him correct me, or am I going to put up a roadblock and say no? Like, who am I that I would say no to the living God? And so when he speaks to us, it's up to us to listen to him and to quickly obey him. So will we believe Jesus? In Acts 4.12, it says, and there is salvation. That was on our um, video this morning, if you remember. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. And in Acts 16.31, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. So as we conclude this series on the word of God, on the word, remember to live in obedience to God's word. That is true belief, is the obedient life is, means you actually believe him. Um, let God's word be your light in the darkness. Remember God's word always accomplishes his purpose, always. Be hungry and thirst after God's word. Never be ashamed of God's word. His word will never pass away. Jesus is returning 
clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Let's pray. We do thank you, O Lord Jesus, that you have come as the Logos and that you have come to speak to us that we might have life. And there's nothing that is required of us but to simply by faith believe in you and that you, by your spoken word, you transform us from the old creation to the new creation and you are the one who gives us life. So we would just ask that we would understand more and more the things that you have said. We pray this in your name. Amen. So I'm just going to read from Ephesians and ask you to stand. Um, I'm going to read the end of chapter 3 of Ephesians. And um, this is really for us. This isn't a a prayer. This is um, sort of a blessing for us. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You'll find a warm, relaxed atmosphere at MCC. We love worship and music here. Our Sunday service starts at 10.30 a.m. and runs till noonish. We are a non-denominational evangelical congregation, so all are welcome. Coffee and snacks are served. Children's church and child care are available.